Let's learn Torah. Learning Torah ultimately is how we battle the Yavanim. The name Yavan, it's a very interesting name. The name Yavan is a Yud, a Vav, and then a Langanun. Each of those letters, they're the only three letters in the Hebrew alphabet that are straight lines, all three of them, but in a row. The smallest, the medium, and the longest. Each one of them mirror each other, right? But there's the tiny little Yud, and then the Vav, and then the Nun. And that's what Yavan does to us. This is what we were learning the last few days. What Yavan does to us is he tries to pull us down. The, the word Yavan is associated in the Pasuk with mud. Just like a person who gets pulled down into mud. And he can't see through the mud. He can't see through the dirt. That's what Yavan wants. Yavan wants to, to weight us into the world. His battle against us, the battle of Yavan against the Yidin is, don't believe in something which is higher than the world, which is greater than yourself. And it's a difficult battle to fight because our natural inclination is to see things through the eyes of our experiences, ourselves, the world around us, through the chitzenius of the world that we live in. The externality of the world and the way that we interact with it is our natural inclination of how we think about things. When we wake up in the morning, our natural inclination is not I want to say Maida'ani, I want to think about the Abishter who is like the language in the Siddur hovering over me. Our natural inclination is I want to press snooze and go back to sleep. When we are sitting down and there's a geschmack, a piece of cake in front of us, our natural inclination is not how do I make sure that this cake is uplifted How do I make sure that this cake shines with godliness? Our natural inclination is yum, that looks delicious. How do I get that into my tummy? That's yavan. It's pulling us down. It's constantly pulling us down to our base instincts, wanting us to look at the world through ourselves and again, the ultimate of ourselves. That's what Yavim was all about. Ultimate sports, ultimate philosophy, ultimate everything. Ultimate cake. Ultimate cake. I'm sure that in Yavim they had ultimate cake, just the sports people didn't eat it. I think that everyone besides the sports people in Yavim were fat. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone that weren't sports people. What? The, the, you don't think there's anyone who wasn't sports people? The philosophers. No, the philosophers weren't fat because the philosophers were aesthetics. They didn't eat. But. Oh, really? Yeah. That means they connected to the spirituality of it. So, how do we battle the Yavanim? Now that we explained what Yavan is about. What Yavan tries to do to us, how Yavan tries to divorce us, to separate us from this essential godliness inside of ourselves. 
the Maimer now is going to tell us how do we fight against Yavam. You ready? So let's see. In Oisei, on the top of, in, in, I'm sorry, towards the bottom of page Kuf Samachai in the Hebrew, on page 280 in the English. Besides yes. the Yitzhahar, we're still fighting against, uh, like what you were saying before? So the Yitzhahar comes in many forms. Okay. Right now we're speaking about a specific battle. And this specific battle is represented in the 70 nations, in the Ummah Yisraelam, and specifically represented in Yavan. Okay? okay. Just to be clear, nothing that Yavan was pushing was necessarily bad. It's just they're doing it for the wrong reason. Absolutely. After all, the Torah says, Yaftalikim Liyafis, like I said all the times. Yaftalikim Liyafis was a bracha from Noyach to his son Yafis. It's yes. beauty. It's, Yafis is Yavan. Yafis is the grandfather of Yavan. That's where Yavan comes from. So Yafis, the beauty of the world and appreciating the world is really important. This is what you're learning in the beginning of Kuntris Umayyan. Is anyone learning Kuntris Umayyan now? So if you're learning the beginning of Kuntris Umayyan, it speaks over there about different layers of beauty. Different layers of pleasure. You have pleasure from a good piece of cake. Seven layer cake, the layers. The, the different layers increase in pleasure, yeah. Yes. So you have, you have pleasure from a good piece of cake, but that's a very animalistic pleasure because even a cow is able to get pleasure from a piece of cake. Then you have pleasure that you get from music. The pleasure that you get from music, so... Cows are also able to get pleasure from music, but not exactly like a human being anymore. It's not a completely animalistic pleasure. The studies have found that uh, music is able to calm animals as well, and able to even plants are able to relate to plants uh, relate to your voice. If you speak to your plant, do you have a plant. See, that's why my plants all die. I refuse to talk to them. I talk to my bachrim too much. I have no more talk left in me for plants. So people ask me, why don't I have a pet? I have too many kids. No room for pets. Not even goldfish. Um, I have a dove, yeah. So... So, so yeah, the, the pleasure of music is pleasure that can be related to by um, the creatures of this world. But nevertheless, a human experiences it differently, so it's a higher pleasure. It's a more uplifted pleasure, more refined pleasure. Then you have the pleasure of philosophy. The pre- pleasure of philosophy is the greatest pleasure that there can be. Why? Because it's a pleasure which is a purely human pleasure. No cow ever contemplated the purpose of existence. It never happened. No dolphin ever reflected on the creator of the universe. They sing songs to Hashem they sing the song of nature, the song of the beauty of nature, which is all, but it's, they're never going to be able to appreciate something outside of themselves, and that a human being is able to experience. 
but this is still within the Yevani culture. Because this is still within the ability to be able to experience the ultimate person. The ultimate nature, not the ultimate nature of a cow, the ultimate nature of a human being. But then there's a pleasure which goes deeper into our essence. And as much as the pleasure of philosophy is greater than the pleasure of music, which is greater than the pleasure of cake, as a result of it being more part of an expression of who I am, the pleasure of my neshama, the pleasure of my neshama is the deepest pleasure I could experience. It's the most refined, it's the most edel, and it's the deepest. And when you allow your neshama to experience pleasure, when your neshama feels pleasure, that pleasure is greater than any pleasure in the world. Like a geshmaka mitzvah. Like when you feel the geshmaka of a geshmaka mitzvah. Often, when I have to reach into my pocket to give a penny to the pushka, it hurts a little bit because after all, I'm not going to be able to use that penny accumulated with another thousand pennies or so to buy myself a candy. So it hurts a little bit. So I'm not experiencing the geshmak of a mitzvah. But if I let myself go and I allow myself to experience the pleasure of the mitzvah, I go beyond my selfish desires and I allow myself to experience the pleasure of giving, the pleasure of giving is more addictive than the pleasure of taking. And it's more addictive for two reasons. First of all, because it's a more human pleasure. It's a it, it's, it's it's something which, and also it doesn't have the heaviness that comes together with taking, which affects the ability to properly be able to experience the pleasure of taking. The pleasure of giving is a much deeper pleasure. And as much as the pleasure of giving is deeper than the pleasure of taking, the pleasure of giving, because it's a mitzvah, because it's an expression of my neshama, my neshama is my life, my neshama is my identity, my neshama is myself. And when you experience the pleasure of yourself, that's the deepest pleasure you can possibly have. That goes deeper than anything else. That's the greatest pleasure. And you've experienced it. You've felt a geshmak in doing a mitzvah. When you ate the first kezayis of matzah on Pesach, when you shook the lul of an for the first time on Sukkot, when you put on a brand new pair of tefillin, fresh, just with that new tefillin smell, It's the, the pleasure that you get from such a mitzvah is very special. But you get it, you experience it, it's a fleeting little feeling, and then you're back to cake. Maybe music. Jewish music, of course. Oh. So that's where Yavon comes in. Yavon wants to schlep us down. How do we escape 
the Yavani culture. How do we fight against the Yavan? That's the question which we're addressing. Okay? With this, we're able to understand the Lashon of the Gemara. When the Greeks entered into the Heichal, Timu kol hashmanim shebeheichal. They defiled, Timu kol hashmanim shebeheichal, all of the oils in the Heichal. The implication of this language is that it's not just a byproduct of their entering, as we've said before, that they entered in and they wreaked havoc, and in wreaking havoc they happened also to defile the oil. The implication of this language is they entered into the Heichal and deliberately they went and seeked out all of the oil in the Heichal in order to defile it. So the Mimer explains to us that there's something deeper going on over here, a reflection of who the Yevanim are and what they stand for. Entering into the Heichal has a deeper implication and the defiling of the oil does as well. The implication of this language is that when they entered into the Heichal, they exerted effort, they tried, they they worked litamis kashmanim. It was a deliberate action that they took to go and defile the oils. And the reason why is because they knew that if they could succeed at defiling the oil, then they're able to eliminate the threat that the Yidin posed to their existence. Because ultimately as much Zalman as the beauty of Yefes is not something bad in and of itself, but it is something bad when it is of itself. And the whole point of the Yavani culture is to make the beauty of Yefes of itself. And when the Yidin come and say, no, it's not about the beauty. The beauty is a means to an end. Eat the cake so that you can serve Hashem better. Listen to the music, so that you can connect deeper. Experience Chachma, so that you can be one with Hashem. When the Yidin come along and say this, this threatens the very existence of Yavon. This makes them feel like they're going to cease to exist. Because they are about the beauty as an end, not as a means. And therefore, they battle against the Jews. What's their fight against the Jews? To try to take away the ability to connect to something higher. And that's why they deliberately sought out the oil in order to defile the oil. In order to be victorious, God forbid, over the Jews. Ki Hubina, because Heichal is Bina, understanding. Vishemen, who Chachma Shalemaila Measeichal de Bina. Oil is the level of Chachma which is higher than the Seichal of Bina. The truth is that today Tesadir, the Mittal Rebbe, is connected very much to Bina. However, the Bina of the Mittal Rebbe is really connected to a higher level than Chachma also. It's the Bina, as the Bina is connected to that which is higher, because everything is always connected 
to higher and lower inside of Seder Ishtalshlos. You just have to know which thing you're connecting to at the right time. But there's in the Seder Ishtalshlos, in the revealed Seder Ishtalshlos, there's Chachman and Bina. What's Chachman and Bina? What's the difference between Chachman and Bina? Chachma is the Eureka moment. The moment of a flash of inspiration. Where does that flash of inspiration come from? Bina is development. Bina is, you have a flash of inspiration. You just realized XYZ. Now you're going to go and take XYZ and build a structure out of it. You're going to write volumes of books about it. You're going to expand on it and you're going to find all of its applications and all of its practical meanings, right? That's Bina. What's Chachma? What is Chachma? I've told you this before. If you take two people and train them equally, you train them, they're they're two people of similar physiques, and you train them over the course of several months to run a race. Yeah, right? Then after all of these months, you put them next to each other, you pull the trigger, and it's time for them to start running. They're running a mile. If one of them runs that mile in, how long? Seven seconds? What? Six and a half minutes. If one of them runs that mile in six and a half minutes, then how long is it going to take the other one to run it? It should be about six and a half minutes. Somewhere near. It's not going to be exactly the same. That's the objective of the race. But it's either going to be six and a quarter, it's going to be six and three quarters, but it's not going to be 30 minutes, and it's not going to be two minutes. Right? It's going to be pretty close. The same is true also when it comes to thinking. If you take two people, similar IQs, similar intellect, similar training and background, and you give them a list of, let's say, math problems, math equations, and they're sitting and they have the timer running, let's see how long it takes them to finish this page. So one of them finishes the page in six and a half minutes. The other one is going to finish the page also in either six and a quarter minutes and six and three quarter minutes. Right? Why? Because this is Bina. Bina is structure, it's building, it's something tangible that you're holding onto, and that tangible thing that you're holding onto, it has its limits. It can't be done in no time at all, and if you're working properly, it's not going to take forever either. Because you know exactly what tools it is that you're bringing to the table. You know exactly what you're working with and what you're working against, what your energy is and what your resistance is. And therefore, there can't be a huge variation between the way the two people approach it, right? What about if I present you with a unique problem? I present you with a unique problem. What's my problem? How do I get parrots to smile in the morning? 
That's my problem. I need to figure that out. Now, this problem is not a problem that has an obvious solution. Very smiling. This problem is not a problem that has an obvious solution. Why doesn't it have an obvious solution? Because it's not clear exactly how you reach that end. There isn't any training in the world that's going to solve this problem for you automatically. You need to come up with a unique idea with something that's out there somewhere and you need to pull it down. This is Chachmah. What's Chachmah? Chachmah is where you're not relying on yourself where you're relying on something which is beyond you. That's why Chachma is the ultimate threat to Yavan. Yavan loves Bina. Because Bina's tangible. Because Bina's relatable. Because Bina's something that I can claim as my own. Where does Chachma come from? So there's a Pasuk in Tehillim, HaChachma Me'ayin Timatse. The simple translation of this Pasuk is, Chachma, where does it come from? But the deeper translation of this Pasuk is, Chachma comes from Ayin. In other words, with the simple reading, you put a question mark at the end, HaChachma Me'ayin Timatse. But in the deeper reading of this pasuk, ha-chachma, me'ayin you find it from ayin. What does it mean you find it from ayin? You find it from nowhere. What should you do if you're sitting and struggling to solve a problem which has no obvious solution and you're not reaching your conclusion, you're not reaching your solution to that problem. What should you do? What's the best thing to do? What would you do if you were in a situation like that? You have a unique problem you have to solve. You're looking at it and looking at it and looking at it this way and looking at it that way, turning it upside down, right side up. You're trying to look at it from every angle possible. You're not coming up with a solution to this problem. What should you do now? Start thinking about something else. Take a break. Why should you take a break? That's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Isn't taking a break counterintuitive? You're trying to solve this problem, and instead of looking at it and working at it harder, you're stepping away from it. Does that make sense? Why? It's not that it refreshes your brain. It's, parents, it's not that it refreshes your brain. Because you started off with a fresh brain. That's not the issue. The issue isn't that your brain is getting old. The issue isn't that your brain is getting stale. So it's true, there's tiredness and a lot of other things, but that could affect your working on regular problems also. And ultimately, even when your brain is getting tired, you still are able to continue working until you finish the sheet in front of you when you're working on a normal problem that has an obvious solution. You just have to make the computations and arrive at 
the solution. Over here, there aren't any computations to be made. There is nothing for you to hold on to. The problem, when you're looking at the at, at, at this challenge, at this puzzle, when you're looking at it and trying and trying and trying to figure it out, and you're not reaching the conclusion, the problem is that you're trying to solve the problem from inside of you. You're trying to solve this puzzle from something that you have, just like the person who is running the race or is doing the math equations on the paper. You're trying to use something that you have in order to solve the problem. And the solution to this puzzle is not inside of you. And since the solution is not inside of you, if you're looking deeper and deeper inside of you, you're just getting more and more lost. Where is the solution for this problem? Where is it? Somewhere there. It's out there. It's not in you. It's outside of you. And that's why. Turn off your brain. Stop thinking about it. Stop trying to connect through yourself. Stop trying to connect through yourself. And if you stop trying to connect through yourself, then you have a hope of reaching the solution that is beyond yourself. And this is why Chachma is a threat to Yavon. Because Yavon does not want to recognize that there exists a beyond of yourself. Yavon wants to say, you are it. God is just a bigger you. The God of anger, the God of jealousy, the God of love, they're all just bigger yous, but you are it. It doesn't go outside of you. There isn't anything beyond you. There is no infinite. So then Chachma is impossible. And the Yivanim, they entered into the Heichal, and their immediate, their immediate destination was Let's defile the Chachma. Let's defile the Shemen. Let's cause that everyone should think that all Shemen is ultimately rooted in you. And if it's ultimately rooted in you, then it's not something which is able to connect to the beyond, to the outside of you. Let's read this inside. Again, Ki Heichal. Heichal is a representation of Bina. Shemen is the level of Chachma, which is higher than the Seichel, the intellect of Bina. As we said earlier, that Shemen is the level of Kedish, because Shemen remains separate, the oil remains separate from all other liquids, etc. And therefore, the Greeks defiled all of the oils in the Heichel of Bina in order to realize, to carry out, God forbid, their schemes, their plot, their desire to cause that the Yidin should forget 
the Torah and to cause them to transgress the mitzvahs. And again, not to forget the Torah per se, but to forget that the Torah is Torah secha. It's Hashem's Torah, which is beyond you. To forget that the mitzvahs are huke ritzaynecha. It's Hashem's mitzvahs which are beyond you. Allah, shalimud ha-Torah, v'kiyam ha-mitzvahs. You rock mitzvah They wanted that when you study Torah and when you fulfill mitzvahs, it should only be from intellect. That's Eis Hey. Now in Eis Vav, the Mimer continues and tells you v'hinei bechdei l'natzeach melchamazu. In order to win this battle, how do you fight against the Ivanim? The Ivanim who are trying so hard to pull you down. The Yuvanim who are trying so hard to make sure that you don't believe that there is anything greater than yourself. That you don't believe that there's anything beyond you. That you are the ultimate. And this is our natural inclination. The normal thought that we have is that it's all about us. It stops by us. It stops by me. This is the I generation, right? The iPhone and the iPad and the I this and the I that. But even when they spell we, how do they spell it? W-I-I. W-I-I. <laughs> In order to win this battle, Ein Maspika Haveda Shalpitam Vadas. It's not enough. To have a Veda which follows logic. So what the Maimer is teaching us over here is that there are three general levels. There's a level of logic. Logic is something that are those building blocks that you're able to hold on to. Now within logic, there's also something which is beyond my logic. That means, as we've spoken before, that I'm able to understand that there are certain things which I don't understand. But those certain things which I don't understand are still there within my grasp. They're still there within my my um, my perspective, my ability to see, my frame of vision. Because... I understand that there are things that I don't yet understand. So I see that there are things which are not yet acquired by me. I'm not yet holding. I know that I have a thousand dollars and a million dollars is just a few stock trades away. I just have to speak to the right person, get the right tip and I'll be there. A few stocks trades away. So this is what's called makif hakarev. In other words, every person has pnimius and makif. Everything inside of Seydish Talshus has pnimius and makif. It has an inner dimension and an outer dimension. But within the outer dimension, there are really two levels. There's an outer dimension which is close to me and an outer dimension which is totally beyond me. So the way that Chassidus sometimes compares these three levels are to the three levels of Mazain, Levush, and Bayis. 
Mazain is food, food you eat, and you, it becomes it becomes part of you. The food that you eat becomes part of you, which is why it's so important that the food that we eat be kosher, because if it's not kosher, then chas v'shalom, that's becoming part of us, and it's affecting us negatively. We need to eat healthy food, because our food is what gives us chayas. We need to eat physically healthy food and spiritually healthy food. But that's pnimius. That becomes part of me. Then there's garments which we wear. So there are the, fam- the, 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 the statements that the garment defines the man. The clothing defines the man. But clothing is something which is interchangeable. It's not part of me. I could take it off. I could put it on. I could change from one color to a different color. From one type of garment to a different type of garment. This is something which is makif. But it's a makif which defines me. So it's a makif hakarev. It's tailored to me. It's expressing me. It's revealing me. It's showing me inside of it. That's the whole point of clothing. Is that I should be able to come out in public. Through clothing I'm able to come out in public. You know what they say about the truth? That truth is very important. But full truth you only have in the mikvah. If you want to be able to go out in public, you need to put on some clothes. My grandmother always used to say that any man with a mustache is hiding something. You, you need to be able to cover yourself up a little bit, right? I don't get it, but still. <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> when you're older. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> don't think about it so much. <laughs> so... So there's makif hakariv. What's makif hakariv? A makif hakariv is a makif which connects to me, which relates to me. And the Yivanim ultimately were okay with the makif hakariv because the makif hakariv is something which they're still able to relate to on some level. On a Kabbalah scheme, this makif hakariv is, as it says in the parentheses, Ha'aveido shemitzad p'chinas makif t'chaya. The Aveido that comes from the level of makif of chaya. There's two levels of makif. There's five levels of the neshama. If you're learning kuntris and yanashal teresachsidis, you're delving deeply into these five levels of the neshama, right? What are they? Go ahead. Anyone? No? Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama are all inside of you. Nefesh is just your practical life, your tangible life. That rush you get when you're just experiencing life. That's Nefesh. What's Neshama? Ruach, I'm sorry. What's Ruach? Ruach is 
What does Ruach trans- translate as? Spirit. The word Ruach means spirit. What does it mean when you say that a person is a spirited person? High emotional. He's highly emotional. That's what Ruach is. Ruach is emotions. I've heard Ruach is also Bechira. Okay. I'm not that? sure. I, no. It could be. I'd have to think about it. Uh, it's not something that I've heard before. So what? what's Ruach? Ruach is emotions. What's emotions? Emotions is a deeper level of yourself than just that practical, tangible life. It's your love, your fear, your closeness, your distance, and so on and so forth. That's your Ruach. Then there's a deeper level. What's the deeper level? Neshama. So I've heard all over that Neshama and Neshama are like, they're used interchangeably. They can be used interchangeably, but in this scheme that we're discussing right now, they're not interchangeable. The Neshama specifically is the intellectual energy of a person. Over here, we're not describing the Nefesh Elikis as opposed to Nefesh Abamis, because both the Nefesh Elikis and the Nefesh Abamis have a Nefesh Ruach Neshama. The Nefesh Abamis has a Neshama, and the Nefesh Elikis has a Neshama. Why is the Nefesh Elikis referred to as the Neshama? Because the Neshama is a cloistic term also, which is used just to refer to the soul, as the Nefesh is sometimes too. Even the Ruch is sometimes used just as a general term. All three of these terms are used in certain contexts just as a general term, which is referring to a soul. And when put into a very specific framework, when we're looking at what they each translate as, that's where we're seeing them on these specific levels. But that's the three levels of Nefesh, Ruch, and Neshama. The three levels of Nefesh, Ruch, and Neshama are all pneumistical levels. They're all internal levels. Your life, obviously, is inside of you, but your emotions, your intellect are also inside of you. They're part of you. They're you. Then you have two levels, Chaya, and Yechida. Um, David gave a shir last night about Ratzin and Tainog. Did he? He went to the shir? Yeah? Chaya and Yechida are Ratzin and Tainog. Chaya is Ratzin, Yechida is Tainog. Ratzin and Tainog are outside of you. But within that scheme itself, Chaya is what's called Makif HaKarev and Yechida is what's called Makif HaRachik. Chaya is closer to you like a garment which shows you, which displays you, which allows you to be expressed and Yechida is a Makif HaRachik like a house that you could look at a house and you have no idea if there's a thousand people in that house or if it's entirely empty because the house looks the same from the outside regardless. That's why it's a makif harachik. It does not display, it does not express, it does not have any connection to the person. And that's the difference between havayda the Aveda as it is from the level of Makif of Chaya, which is the level of Makif HaKarev, the close 
Makif. And then there's the Makif Harachik, which that's ultimately what threatens Yavon, and that's what Yavon wanted to affect, wanted to defile. So if we want to fight against Yavon, we have to tap into the Yechida inside of ourselves to fight against that which Yavon is trying to pull down. When we do our Aveda from the level of Makif, from the level of Yechida, then we're able to battle against the Yavanim who are trying to defile the Makif. We'll continue Bezus Hashem tomorrow morning. No, no, we just started both. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye